0: You're listening to audio from Plankrow Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankerharvest.org. Well, good morning. Super excited to see all the little kids here. Um, this one church I talked to, he, he asked me about us having young people and I said, well, yeah, we got some young families, got some kids. I said, uh, maybe one of our bigger problems is having um, enough people to help with the kids. And he said, yeah, we got that problem too. I said, what's that? He said, no kids. So it's good to have you with, with children. It's good to hear the, the uh, Macedonian call from the back row back there. And um, I'm glad that we have that. I'm telling you that you need children. You've got to have children. They're the ones that's the, the future. They're the future of the fellowship. So... Um, don't be frustrated as the kids cry and crawl around. Whitney, I love you, baby. And you can, if your kids crawl and scream, sorry, I called you baby in front of all these people. Whitney, dear heart, my friend, who we're not really that close. Um, I, I really love your kids. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad your kids are here. And, and um, if they make weaselly noises, we do have an opportunity for them to go in the back. We have some adults that are willing to be with them. If you want them to go uh, to the back back there, mom's um, you're, you're free to let them go. I got uh, the strong girls are going to go and maybe another adult lady or two. But um, if they get rowdy and you need to take them, take them back there, feel free to get up and take them back there. But they're free to stay in here too. Um, I pray that you'll be patient with them as they um, vocalize their amens in a different way than we do. Um, our, our scripture, our message this morning is going to be a Yeshua who judges. We're going to talk about Jesus the Judge. We've been talking about these different names of Christ. Um, well, before, I th- before I go here, I want, to, I want to... I kind of like to do the announcements before church and then so you can kind of ponder on the word strong. Terry and Mary are back there waiting for him. So any, any monkeys that need to be released, feel free to go. Sorry, release, release the monkeys. Mm-hmm. But if monkeys want to stay... We're down for that too. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Jed. That's why we cha- that's why we paid Jed. We're going to get some new deacons, and they will be paid exactly what we're paid. And so, uh, but they're expected to do what Jed did right there is, is keep uh, keep Dale on track there. So we we uh, so this afternoon, six o'clock, we're going to have a deacon ordination. And I know, um, I pray that you'll come and be a part of that and see these men who you have chosen, who we have vetted, who I know to be good men of God, and I'm excited for these men to come. And one of them's in the back um, with, the, with the kids now, Terry, Mr. Terry and his wife Mary, and then um, the Alva family here, Charlie and Cindy, and I pray you'll come this evening and, and, and bless them by, your, by being here just in honoring them as they honor you to serve you. And then we'll have uh, some of Renetta's famous uh, Texas sheet cake. Are we still doing that? Okay. Just making sure. We talked about it, but sometimes things get changed, you know. And so we're going to have that, some ice cream. So come and, and, and break bread with us afterwards. You've got to go through the deacon ordination first, but then you get the ice cream and the cake. So come for the ordination, stay for the cake, okay? So I hope to see you here this evening at 6 o'clock, and that, that message will be largely focused on that, on the, the role of the deacon and how they serve in our fellowship and and then, uh, like I said, we'll have the cake afterwards. So now, well, well, what's the message on? The message is on Yeshua who's, who judges. So we've been working on the names of God, and this is a little bit more of a title than a name. Um, however, it kind of ties on to what we were talking about last week. So I want to kind of continue through that and try to get this, we're not going to wrap it up today, but we're going to wrap the first part up today of about Jesus and how we have his name, Yeshua, Yahweh is salvation, um, gets forgotten sometimes as we, we use his codename Jesus. Um, and we, we talked last week about him being salvation, how he was revealed to the believers, and how they were shocked to discover that they had an absolute part, either from not acting or from acting, they actually had a part in destroying their hope as they perceived him. And Peter was merciful in giving them a the solution to their situation. He said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And he said, be saved from this perverse generation. i got to tell you, and Strong knows this, one time years ago we were in a, a, a vacation Bible school thing with this lady, real sweet little lady, and she was going to do her best to give the gospel to these children. And she told them all about hell and how terrible hell was and, and they needed to be saved and, and whatever. And just then the bell rang. And that was the end of the thing. And she didn't get to give him the hope of salvation. And even me and Strong were like, man, we were biting her. Like, this is we're going to, what, what do we do? She's like, well, I'll tell you the rest next week. I'm like, you can't leave him. <laughs> Peter was much more merciful here and went directly to the repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Pastor Tony used to say, on that day, uh, one message and 3,000 were saved and baptized and today Three thousand messages and one is saved and baptized. So which is the more perverse generation that needs to be saved from? It's tragic. We're in a we're in a bad time now as a as a country, as a people. Particularly we gotta we gotta recognize that the United States is different from other countries. Other countries are seeing large revivals, but other countries are also seeing large amounts of persecution as well. So with persecution comes revival, and we, we, we pray against persecution because we don't like to suffer, but somehow persecution of the church is what drives people to the need for salvation so just remember that that's coming i noticed that in reading the epistles as we talk about remember yeshua the judge jesus the judge that's the point jesus the judge get that in your mind so everything about this is about jesus the judge both now and in eternity but i was reading up through some of the epistles that's all the the shorter letters there after the gospels okay so some by paul some by peter um, one by Jude, some by John, different people. One by James, and so I, I noticed that there's this consistent teaching amongst the epistles, in particular, that calls believers to a peculiar style of living. Um, Titus 1:16 says they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. In 2: verse 7, Titus. In all things, showing yourself, he's telling Titus how to act, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you, etc. And in 2 Timothy 2.14, it says, Paul, talking to Timothy, telling them what to do, he says, remind them of these things. He goes through a whole list there of do this, do that, hire guys like this, put these people in charge, tell the old men to be like this, tell the old women to be like this, tell the young people to be like this, tell husbands and wives to live like this, and remind them of these things. And uh, I was talking to a a brother the other day, and he really got his eyebrows up a little bit, um, and he kind of disagreed with me, but according to the Scriptures, part of the role of the pastor, of the elders, of the deacons, is to remind you of these things, to remind one another. we got to remind one another. Um, there's this misunderstanding that came along. I'd say it's 50 to 70 years old. And it's this, uh, I'm no, under, no longer under the law, but under grace. Got to be a really popular teaching. It's a really good excuse that we like to use that gets us out of a lot of hot water. Well, that may be. That's the law, though I'm under grace. And it opens the door... Uh, for us to do whatever it is we want to do because the law is very constraining and we see grace as very merciful and overlooking. But the reality is with Christ, with God, there is no overlooking of sin. If there's sin, there's no overlooking of it. There's either discipline or judgment. There's something, but there's no overlooking. We're not allowed to live however we want. We say the law constrains. We say Jesus gives us life and that more abundant. And uh, following him and following him, we have freedom in all things. I can do what I want. I can go where I want. I can drink what I want. I can eat what I want. I can live how I want. I can watch what I want. I can listen to what I want. Because ultimately, God's grace, through uh, the, the righteousness of Christ imputed upon me, allows me to be and do and think and say and act however I want to do. And in a sense, these are true statements in context. If you put them in context, you do have great freedom in Christ. To abuse freedom is to abuse Christ. And that's what I want you to see. So like with any, uh, so when we take these, these statements, I have all this freedom in Christ. I'm not under grace, I'm under the law. I mean, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Um, we, we twist these things to allow our own sinfulness, and then we get ourselves into trouble. It's like with any failure or any bad habit, the more we allow it, the more it has a greater hold on our lives, and it becomes to a point where we can't hardly see how we initially got into this, into this wrong track. Um, so by making allowances for ourselves, we begin to fall away, but it's a, it's a, it's a really small thing that gets bigger over time. I tell people this. A lot of people, they have talked to me in the past, you know. Well, let me give it. So, I, so the people I was in high school with, I was actually, you may know this about me or not, but I was actually told by some of my school teachers that the best thing I could do was move away from the town that I lived in because I was such a loser. <laughs> and to this day, I don't go back there. I've gone back and visited my family some, and I have gone back and seen uh, schoolmates there at times. But the things that I said and did and how I lived as a high school student are in their memories. It would be best if I just stay in Tennessee. That would be best. You know, if there's a battle, another battle of the Alamo, we'll go down there and help them again. But other than that, stay in here. You know, that was Tennesseans who went down there and helped them, right? Uh, so what happens is <laughs> you know, you're stuck with me. This is what you got. This is the best Texas could send. That's, I'm, I'm sorry. To this church, I'm sorry. But it, just know I went some other places first before I got here. God was molding and forming there. But uh, so um, so so if I went back and I had to go back and see some kid from high school or even in my military days, a lot of times I, I meet people that I was in the military with and the only thing we can go back to is where we were running parallel to one another. It's like a train, right? And the tracks run parallel, Right? And so the only thing I can go back to with those people of the past is when we were running parallel, we were running the same thing. But as time goes on, they're living their life. I live my life. You know, some people stayed there in Needville, home of the Fighting Blue Jays there in Texas. Some people stayed there, and they kept on this track where I was. We were on the same view. And in time, so I went to the military, I went to boot camp San Diego, and I went to Hawaii and was stationed there, went to Saudi Arabia, went to the Philippines, went to all these different countries. And, and so each time, though we had a similar upbringing, the tracks are moving slightly apart. And I'm telling you that today I can go back to either the people I was in the military with or the people I was in high school with, and I'm telling you our lives are like this. They're not parallel at all anymore. And that's how, this, that's how these sin, bad habits, they work the same thing. It's this little thing. It's this, so I'm following Christ, and in this little thing, you know, my view of Christ is here. And this little thing, and I start getting a little off. I mean, I can still see him kind of the, you know, eventually he's out of the corner of my eye. I mean, I still see him. He's still there. But my, my, my track is way off from where he is. So in our Names of God series, we've come to Jesus the Judge. And I want you to go to John chapter 5. And I want you to see that Jesus himself calls him, he calls himself the judge. I didn't didn't make it up. In general, the Bible says there's there's a special discipline for pastors, for teachers of the law, of the word. So it's very critical that you don't make things up. It's best if you go directly to the word and say what it says. There's curses about changing the word and so on. But it says right here, John 5, go for to verse 21. Let's start at 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. It's up to the Son. For the Father judges no one, but he has committed all judgment to the Son. Father used to judge, now he's committed all judgment to the Son. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come unto judgment but has passed from death to life. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So this first thing that we need to understand about the judgment of Christ, the judgment of the Messiah, the judgment of Yeshua, Yahweh is salvation, is that there's more than one judgment. This initial judgment that we're talking about right here is a passing from death unto life. It's different than the Great White Throne judgment, the Bema Seat, these other judgments that you you will hear. Even the judgments or the disciplines that come from a life of a believer like David that falls into sin and must be disciplined. It's a different thing. This right here, this is the rescue right here. And um, it's the, the most obvious thing that it does is it dictates a person's eternal residence, where you'll be for eternity. And this person, man, woman, child, young person, maybe you today, He has to hear my word, and he has to believe in him who sent me. That person, it says, has everlasting life. So there's two parts. I'm not trying to stretch what it says. The first thing, you've got to hear the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How will they hear without a preacher? Here am I, send me. Why? Because you're going to give them the word. So how will they hear if no one tells? So you've got to tell them. So they hear. So you hear. You hear the word. Now, there's a second part. There's a reaction to the word. Belief on him who sent me. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a belief in the Father, the creator of all things, that allows you to believe in the Son, the Savior of all men, those that would choose him for eternal life. So remembering that Jesus, the first word that Jesus preached, we had to say, well, what's the word? He hears my word. What's the first message that Jesus preached? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the very first word that Jesus said was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from how you're living now and begin to live as a kingdom dweller. Um, So we've talked about before what repentance is. It's not just the It is, but it's more. It's not just the walking this direction and in repentance to turn completely around and go this direction, but there's also forgiveness involved and mercy involved. To repent, to ask forgiveness for someone and them say, get out of here, you're dead to me. There's gonna be bitterness on both sides. The kind of repentance that we're talking about here is the kind of repentance that comes with the knowledge and the hope that when we repent before Christ, for having our part of putting him on the cross for our sins and so on, that he will provide forgiveness and mercy towards us, casting our sin as far as the east is from the west. And not only forgiving our sins, but forgetting our sins, cleansing us from all transgressions. So that's a big deal. So the first part is the repentance. Um, But the second part is continuing on this new way. See, I, I really, and I'm not trying to make law, I'm not trying to make new rules that you've got to abide by, but I'm going to tell you that repentance, I'm going to tell you what, it's not. Repentance is not, I repent, I ask Christ to forgive me, and I begin to follow him, and as soon as I get bored or whatever, I go back to the old way. That's not repentance. It might be confusion, It might be lostness, but it ain't repentance. Repentance is turning and continuing now, can believers sin and fall away? Yes. Can believers be uh, even redeemed from sin that they've committed after they were saved? Yes. But I'm telling you that many believers or so-called believers or false believers think this, there was a one moment in time where they had this, well, I mean, it's worth a try. <laughs> Somebody said this the other day. It couldn't hurt. It couldn't hurt. So, well, man, believe in Christ. You get your fire insurance. Okay, well, it can't hurt. I'll, I'll give it a try. Well, I tried that, and nothing really changed in my life, and then everything, so I'm back to the, i just live the old way. Repentance is a turning and a following. It's not just a turning for a moment, only to turn back around and go the other direction with just a new set of clothes on, or a new bath when you were baptized. So repentance, and in belief on God the Father and His sent Messiah for eternal life. And maybe you think, well, I've heard all this before, and I've been saved by the blood of Christ, and I know I'm free, and and therefore you in in speaking to me in such a way as to say that I have to live some particularly godly life though I've already repented then you're being judgmental of me but if you recall we saw last week there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus so we make judgments every day we make a lot of judgments to make a judgment is different from being a judge. And I hope you understand that one believer exhorting another believer to righteousness is different than judgment. I can have opinions, and I can even judge. But the only thing I can do, the only thing you can know, that I can know, that you can know, that we need to know, is that we, all, we stand before one judge, and that's the Father. Well, now it says Christ Jesus. We stand before Him to be judged. So there is a judgment. For the believer in Christ, for the brothers and sisters in the fellowship, there's an exhortation to righteousness that we should be very reliant on. Well, you're being legalistic. Well, if we took the word legalistic, what are we talking about? We're talking about the law and obeying the law. And if we look at Christ, he says, I didn't come to abrogate the law, but I came to complete the law. The word abrogate, I didn't come to, um, the word abrogate is a really special word where it's used there. I didn't come to abrogate the law. I came to complete the law. Only the person who wrote the law can abrogate the law. It's a really unusual word. So if I wrote the law myself, remember that the law of the Medes and the Persians cannot be changed. So the word to abrogate is to, uh, is to I wrote the law, I realized the error in it, or I realized there's a loophole in it, and so I changed it. That's to abrogate the law. Jesus said, I didn't come to abrogate the law. I ain't changing anything. I'm what the law looks like in perfection walking around. If I can do it, you can be under me and you can have it. But he didn't come to change the law. The law stands. It's a a fine line. We we get really touchy about this because we're Americans, man. You don't tell us what to do. You know, the law applies to all, but to them more than me in America. That's how it works, right? Um, I want to see the cops pull the bad guys over for uh, drinking and driving, but I don't want the cops to pull me over for speeding and running red lights. You know, and that's how we look at the law of God very often. We want the law of God to hammer Saddam Hussein or Ayatollah Khomeini or whoever the other guy was trying to kill us and blow us up. You name the guy, ISIS, right? Hammer him, but have mercy on me. Um, the only one who has the right to, of the power to condemn is the Lord. However, we are called as believers to encourage one another in good works. So when we see a brother or sister in works that are not good, then we should be diligent to exhort them. Now, this is a two-parter. The first person is the exhorter, and the other is the exhortee. The exhortee, in general, has very thin skin. Because as soon as you point out the fact that um, they have some conscious or unconscious sin that everyone can see on them, but themselves, they're going to be very defensive. And they're going to say, well, you're judging me, or you're being legalistic. But the reality is, we're the warner. If I see someone doing something that's dangerous to their health, I would warn them to stop. My uncle, uh, my great uncle... um, when he was 14, so a lot of the old tractors, some of you old guys remember this, but even until even recently, they had, a, they had a big drum on the side. And then anything that ran, like if you was going to leave your tractor in place and run a buzz saw off of it to chop firewood, or you're going to run a crusher to crush a, a, a cane to make a sorghum or whatever, it ran off this belt, and the belt would, it would run over the thing and have a big cross in it. It would cross over itself, and then it would run either the buzz saw or whatever so that it was running the right direction. When my uncle was 14, he lived to be 104, I think, but he jumped over the belt. He'd been told a hundred times, you stay away from the belt, and tore his leg off from the knee down. Okay? He had been exhorted, but he was smarter than the exhorter. And he jumped the belt, and he lost his leg. The guy was a great mechanic. He was strong as an ox. He could... Pick up, uh, he worked on Model A's until they made Model T's, or Model T's until they made Model A's, until they made cars. The third. And he could pick up a small V8 by himself. That's a lot of weight. He was a big man. He was pretty tall, even with half a leg. And uh, he tried to join the military in World War II, and he made it all the way until they make you take all your clothes off before they figured out he didn't have a leg on one side. He could run like the wind, jump, play basketball. He's a real good athlete. But because of this foolishness of not living, listening to the exhortation of a person that cared about him, he lost his leg. It affected his whole life. For a believer to tell another believer or even a lost person that what they're doing is wrong or that they're living in sinfulness is not judgmentalism. It's not legalism. There's a, there's a line there, I know. Like, that's the law. Well, you're just trying to hold me to the standard of the law. Jesus kept the standard of the law. Be Christ-like. What does that mean? Be like, Christ, be, be like Jesus. That's what it means. Do what he did. Talk like he did. Live like he did. Worship like he did. Be obedient like he did. Can't go wrong. Well, be, but I'm under his grace. I can do what I want. I don't believe so. Because Jesus was constrained by his own grace and mercy and by the law. The law is still a restraint to those Romans 14 10 says why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt for your brother for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and in verse 12 says so then each of us shall give account of himself to God it's not being judgmental to warn someone that they're in danger stop jumping over the belt Um, go back and read Ezekiel the watchman on the wall he tells them don't just warn the wicked warn the righteous go to Jude Go to 1 Corinthians. Go to Galatians, foolish Galatians. Who's tricked you? Who's led you astray, you big dummies? And they're like, man, Paul's so mean to us. He writes really mean letters. Isn't that what they said in Corinthians? But in person, he's really nice, but he writes really mean letters. But he's exhorting them. He's like, stop being a dummy. The judgment of Romans 14 is a different judgment then than the judgment of John chapter 5. The judgment of Romans 14 is the one that says, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's in a future time where you will be measured and analyzed. It's a judgment of a life lived. So the judges that preside, I was thinking about this. I could be wrong. But I think this is a really good kind of um, proof that God is, that God is a creator, and that man does what, what God designs whether he tries to or not every nation every tribe every entity ever has had some sort of judges that judge the people do you ever think about that every country even russia they might be corrupt but they got judges um the bible has a book of judges (laughs) the god starts right off in genesis judging he has to judge adam has to judge cain right has to judge abraham when abraham goofs up has to judge david um, uh, so with all people, um, let me let me let me think here. Every nation has judges. Men are corrupt. When men are judges, they're corrupt. When God is a judge, He is incorrupt and incorruptible. You're not going to pay off um, the Lord to get out of out of danger. So if you go back to the founding of America and you look at how it was founded, a lot of the founding fathers were really clear and they said, as, as long as men are righteous, the republic will work. Freedom will work as long as men are righteous. And a lot of people nowadays, they say, well, you know, the United States, it wasn't founded on Christian principles. Yes, it was. All those guys, say what you will, even Ben Franklin, they like to say, well, he was a deist, whatever, or even an atheist that applied deist principles, whatever. He used the Bible as the baseline for the books and for the letters and for the different, you know, constitutions and the, and the amendments that they added, they used the Bible as the standard because it was so fair. It was so right. And so they said, even back then, you can find these quotes, I'm not going to read all the quotes, but you can find multiple quotes. That said, when, you know, the, the, the uh, republic will last as long as men are righteous. When men quit being righteous... The republic will fail. That's where we're at. Men are no longer righteous. The republic is failing. Now, if you listen to the news, you will never, hardly ever hear the United States of America be called a republic. You'll hear it be called a democracy. We're not a democracy. We're a republic. A representative republic. That's what we are. Go look it up. Be a Berean. Look it up. (laughs) All right? We're a republic. We elect people. They vote for us. We're not a democracy. It's not 50 plus 1. It's you elect this guy, and he, and he speaks for you. But when they no longer speak for you, or the people are so corrupt in power, then you're doomed. That's the problem with the republic. And a republic can easily become a dictatorship or it can fall into democracy of socialism. Okay, so that aside, telling you all that to tell you, if all the people of all the country are observing their freedom correctly... Nobody's robbing and pillaging and raping and attacking and assaulting and stealing and lying and cheating and coveting. If everybody's just taking care of their family, treating others more highly than themselves, obeying their God, serving one another, working, doing their thing, it's going to be fine. But all it takes is one person to begin to fall into the, you know, no longer the parallel railroad tracks. It takes one guy over here. And he starts telling lies, or he starts stealing, or he starts in some sort of corruption. And all of a sudden, you have to have a judge. And with the judge comes lawyers. And you know where it goes from there. So the Bible talks about a court that's in heaven. It's in Psalm 82, 1. It's actually in a number of places, but in an Old Testament place, in Daniel, it's in Psalm 82, it's in Psalm 7. There's a number of times that the the courtroom is mentioned, particularly in Revelation, we'll go there. But in Psalm 82, one, it says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. These gods are either supernatural gods. They're the kings of the earth. They're the influencers, or influencers of the kings of the earth. There's a lot going on in that, in, that, uh, in that psalm right there. It's one that not a lot of people teach on because it's kind of it's hard to understand because he's talking about the gods, small letter G, but plural of the earth. These are the influencers of the kings, and he tells them, "Stop being wicked. Stop acting wickedly. Stop influencing people into wickedness." And this is what I want you to see is that it, it says that uh, in this courtroom, there's, there's no jury. Uh, anybody been to court down here, Cumberland County? So if you go to the court only no, whatever, you're all so good whatever I've been there a number of times. <laughs> Usually wasn't my fault, but usually I've still been there. Okay, so you got the judge, you got all these lawyers and sheriffs, right? You got a jury, then you got all the hooligans, right? Not so in the heavenly court. You got the judge, you have an advocate, Christ, and you got everybody else. There is no jury of peers. There's no jury of similar people that can... Can, can look at you and go, oh, man, I really feel for that guy. Man, I mean, I, I did that too one time. I'm glad I didn't get caught. This guy's going to get hung. There's no... Ju- they're all guilty. And they're all sitting there. And they're just waiting for him to say, next. And their stomachs are all turning. And they're all sweating. And they're all worried about what the judge is going to do to them. There's only a judge. And there's one advocate, the man, Christ Jesus. That's it. And there's us. psalm 7 verse 11 god is a just judge god is angry with the wicked every day if he the wicked does not turn back he god will sharpen his sword so where do we fall on the scale of wicked and not wicked jesus is not going to seek a pardon for someone who has not accepted his authority let me tell you that you say well i'm a christ follower but i don't but i don't live like christ but i'm going to i'm going to count his righteousness is my righteousness and therefore I'm going to be okay. But if his righteousness does not truly cover you, if you want to live, you know, if you want to live like hell, I'm going to tell you, that's probably going to be your uh, retirement home. That's where you'll go. 1 Peter 4, let's go there. This is a, this is a really interesting um, set of verses here. 1 Peter 4. Titus, Philemon, Hebrew, James, 1st, 2nd Peter. 1st Peter 4. Start at verse um, 16. 1st Peter 4, 16. Yet if anyone are we there? 1 Peter four sixteen. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good. Commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Does this scripture, and I know we're pulling one out of context of many, but does this scripture allow you to live, think, say, do, eat, drink, exist, any way you want to? Or does this scripture dictate that there is a judgment that's going to begin with the house of God, God's people, and they're just designed for those people to go about doing good. If you had to measure your life, could you say that your life would be proof of doing good? Not as you measure it, but as God measures it. This verse in Peter, it seems really harsh. But the house of God is this, the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? It's not good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If the house of God has no more influence <coughs> on the wickedness of men in the world, then what good is it? If the house of God looks exactly like the world looks, it says that judgment will come to the house of God first. If I go to the book of Revelation and I start there in chapter 1, 2, and 3 and I start looking at the seven churches, what I'll see is that the house of God was no longer concerned, except for Philadelphia, the house of God was no longer concerned with doing good. They're about doing stuff, but it wasn't about doing good. It was no longer about following Christ. They had turned their back on their first love. They were living like everybody else was living. And so in Peter's day, so in ours day, the people of God are due judgment because the, though they once repented, now like Elijah said, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? Yes, I'm a Christ follower, but I'm going to, live, I'm going to watch everything the world watches. I'm going to act just like the world in every way, but people are going to know by my style of living and how sweet I am to my wife and kids and whatever, they're going to know that I'm a Christian and they'll want to be a Christian too. It, it doesn't work. It's, it's wrong. We've got to decide if Galatians 2.20 is, is true for us, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If Christ dwells within me, I say he does, but my life produces no fruit, no fruitfulness. I have no desire for the lost. My greatest concern is for myself my wealth my well-being i have no concern for my neighbor Um, and and if you keep reading that in galatians by the way it goes on to talk about the grace versus righteousness obtained by the law and there's no righteousness obtained by the law i understand that and it's by god's grace that we're saved through faith not of works lest any man should boast nothing that we did not according to works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. The washing of regeneration, renewing the Holy Spirit. Nothing we could do to be saved. But once saved, there's a calling of the Christian to do righteousness. To be good and to do good. And if I know that I got to go before a righteous judge and I know that he's observing my every step, how can I justify an unrighteous lifestyle knowing that I got to stand before a righteous judge? Because I've heard them up there. I have been to court a number of times, usually for stuff where someone has affected um, me or I've been a witness for something else. I don't know. I've just been blessed, I guess. But the excuses, man, are hilarious. It's like you'd think the judge has never heard that one before. Uh, did, you, did you get a lawyer? Oh, no, uh, I was thinking about getting a lawyer, but I um uh, No, I'll get a lawyer. Next. You know, did you get a lawyer? Well, you know, I was thinking and I called my one friend and they didn't have, I mean, it's the same all day, every day. The poor judge, he probably just goes home and drinks himself to sleep, I don't know. It's got to be miserable. Oh, I didn't bring my ID. You, do you have an ID? No. I'm like, uh, I'm like please just listen. If I was speeding, man, just I should have paid the ticket. Why didn't I just pay the ticket? I wouldn't have to be up here. You're not going to be able to talk your way out from some kind of judgment or harsh punishment from the judge of eternity, you're not going to be able to do it. It's about falling under his authority today, obedience to the law today, to his law, not to the law law, but to his law. Whatever he tells us to do, to go and do and serve and, and care and help, whatever it is. Let's go to Revelation. We'll, we'll finish in Revelation. Go to Revelation chapter one. We're going to flip through just a few of them. So if, you, if you're in Revelation... And you just read it from cover to cover. All these books in the Bible, just so you know, I'll tell you again, they're designed to be read in one setting. Where we get ourselves in trouble is when we cherry-pick verses out, uh, uh, particularly the epistles. They were all letters. But they're all designed to be read in one setting. And we get ourselves in trouble. We read a little two- or three-verse part, and we go to another part, and then we, it doesn't make sense because it doesn't tie together. But if you read the whole book of Revelations, you will see, starting in Revelation chapter 1, that Jesus Christ, the judge is setting in the courtroom of heaven and he's, he's ordaining the design of all eternity, both now and future eternity. So eternity begins way long time ago before the creation of the earth and it continues on to way into the future with no end. And somewhere in between is where we fall today, that little speck on the timeline of, of the world. But in this, in this Revelation 1, look at verse 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, so grace to you, john to the seven churches verse four grace to you and this book is from jesus christ verse five the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood go to one verse 11 jesus speaking now so he's the ruler over all kings of the earth are you a king are you anything close to a king are you Jed? well somebody said they were the jesters this morning. We're not even the jesters in the court of the king. We're, we're, we're not even in the court. We're not even in the outer court. It says verse 11 I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. So John this man that's under the king, he's in the courtroom of the kingdom. He's in the courtroom. He's, he's listening. He's being He's being told what to do. John has no option but to be obedient to the authority of the one who speaks. He says, John, write this down. Okay, let me get my pen. Put it like this. Okay, I'm writing it down. Take it to the church. Okay, I'm taking it to the churches. He doesn't have an option. We don't have an option. If we say that we know him, but we don't obey him, you say that you love me, but you don't keep my commandments, you don't know them or you don't love them. And that's a scary thing. It's not being legalistic. Legal is just related to being obedient to the law. There's laws that, that control what we do every day as we go about and just live in Crossville. If everybody did whatever they wanted to do, I mean, any of you that's been to Peru before and you've seen the, the people not obeying the law where everybody just drives every direction simultaneously, it's a miracle. There's not stacks of dead bodies everywhere. Every, it's, it's just lay on the horn and go for the hole, man. If, if everybody lives that way, with no law constraining, and we say, well, I'm not under the law, there's got to be a constraint. There has to be a direction for the believer. So it's legal, legalism, legal is in related to being obedient to the law. This is just understanding authority and being obedient to the messiah that's all it is so i don't i don't want to (laughs) you don't understand who the messiah is because it says that he's the judge go to 15 chapter 15 i'm sorry revelation chapter 15 is where it gets serious not like the other chapters weren't somewhat negative in in revelation of different judgments and so on by the way they're called judgments the bold judgments, um, other judgments. Chapter 15, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, 15 verse 4. Well, let's start at 3 because it's such an amazing scripture. It starts at, at verse 3. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. This is who you want. This is the guy you want that's, that's judging your case. You don't want the guy that you can pay off. Because if you can pay him off, someone else can pay him off with just a little bit more money or a, a nicer Rolex or something. So this just and true king of the saints, and then listen to this question. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all nations shall come to worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested they were manifested in in Genesis. He told Adam, take dominion over the earth and the the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Take authority uh, over your wife. And, And Adam didn't obey the judgment. He didn't obey the command. Don't eat of the tree. He ate of the tree. This judge, this righteous judge, he has the right to tell us. We're under his kingdom authority. He's the judge. Look at 18. This is the scary part. There's no option for the, for the servant of the king but to do what the king tells him to do. But look at verse eighteen or chapter 18, verse 4. And so he's talking about uh, the, the great whore Babylon and, and the falling of the nation of, of Babylon and its materialism, And it's social systems of economy and everything that's going on there. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Believer, Christian, brother and sister in Christ. You can't live by the world standard and not expect the judgment that comes to the world. And he gives them the warning. He says, Come out of the world. Don't live like the world. Be separate from the world. To be separate is to be holy. Come out. But I have freedom to live in in Christ however I desire. No. No, you don't. You don't. There's a judgment. There's an earthly judgment. There's an eternal judgment. And by God's great merciful grace, he allows that judgment to be given by Christ, Yeshua. Yahweh is salvation. Our salvation is going to be our judge. Revelation 20, starting in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. The earth and the heaven itself has no place to stand before the righteous God of eternity, and there was found no place for them. anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This judgment goes all the way back to that one we saw in John chapter 5. This is the separation of your eternal residence. Christ is the judge. Can you still live any life you think you desire and yet stand before um, this perfect judge in the future with your face unashamed I don't believe it to be possible. I looked up the, the coronation of Queen Elizabeth. She passed this week, you know. From 1953, they got it on YouTube. Very interesting. It was the first time that they uh, ever allowed the public to see the coronation of a, of a monarch in England. First time. And they showed every part of it. You can watch it. It's, it's really neat. And, um, but Except for the anointing part. They cover her, her, her little throne there. It's not little. They cover her throne there with this little canopy, kind of a little four-man portable tent, and they set it down over. this gold canopy. And in the priesthood you could hear what he said, and he anoints her with oil on her head, her breast, and her hands um, for her service to her, her nation, her heart of her people, and the, the mind of Christ. It was, man, very, very scriptural, very Christian, very Jewish. I don't know if you know this, but the throne that she sits on has a stone under it that is supposedly been brought to Europe from Jeremiah when he fled um, uh, back during those days when, when Nebuchadnezzar was taken over Jerusalem. And he took the stone with him. It was the stone that the other kings had been anointed on. And she sits, that stone, if you see her thing, you see her throne, you can actually see the stone underneath her throne. And every king and queen of England, for the last ever how many thousand years that they've had them, has sat on that stone. And they have historical documentation that traces that stone back to the day of jeremiah and actually ireland i believe has control of the stone but they allow the the scotland or ireland has control of the stone and they allow the king or queen when they're anointed king or queen to sit on that stone still today and be anointed as the king or queen of britain and i was watching that and i'm seeing her there and so she comes in with this one robe the robe of the princess Pretty long. And, and then and they take it off. They take all these clothes off of her as a princess. And then they redress her right there in front while they're playing Zadok the Priest, a very moving, powerful hymn. It's, it's incredible. And they undress her. And then they redress her as the queen. Take all her princess jewelry off, put your queen jewelry on. Set her on this other throne. Now she's the, now she's the, the queen, right? And I, was, and I was thinking about that versus that scripture in Isaiah where it talks about, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the, the, the train of his robe filled the temple. And her train is like maybe from here to the door. Maybe it's 14, 16 feet long. But the, the length of the train is a picture of the dominion that you have over aspects of the earth. It's, it's related to how many countries you're in control of. what you're in control of. And hers was only 16 feet long. But the king of the universe, a train of his, it fills the t- its laps around the temple, right? And I thought, man, what a it was! It was neat and it was incredible. They had all these silver and gold things, you know, and they had these little mugs and all the stuff that they do all their jazz with. And I thought, it's so silly compared to the coronation of this king and this judge. That the men's view, the best he can come up with, is this coronation of the queen, which was. It was very, I mean, even if it's black and white, and you can still tell, it was incredible. And when it, maybe they'll show, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the guy? Charles. Maybe they'll show Charles, and, and, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And you should watch it. But when you, when you see man's, the best that man can do is nothing compared to what God does in his courtroom, in his temple. Because it says when Isaiah saw him, when Ezekiel saw him, when John saw him, it says he fell down as a dead man. And I watched all those people just stand there and watch the queen do her thing. And nobody fell down as a dead man. But when you stand before the judge of the universe, you're not going to have a bunch of little snappy comebacks for, for how you lived, how you wanted to live and do what you wanted to do. Because he's the king of kings. There's no other king that stands up to his kingness. And he's the Lord of lords. There's no other master. There's no, the master would, that's the word Lord, right? Senor, master. It's just the word of, a, of the boss man. And there's no other boss man, George Soros and his wealth, Bill Gates and his wealth, Donald Trump and his wealth, or any other wealthy whoever will have nothing compared to this king and this Lord and this master. You've got to stand before this king and it says, and give an account of yourself gonna be a tough day so i call you today my friends my family to remember that jesus is the authority on earth and he's the judge in eternity seek today the lord while he may still be found obey him fall under his authority king of kings and lord of lords father we thank you for this morning i pray for these that are here as they hear the word that they would receive the word not as a a point of judgmentalism towards their life or their spirit or anything that they're doing. Lord, I pray that they would receive it in the, as the word of God that was given by a man. But I believe it's the word that you had for us today. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and your care for us. You've put up with us this long. You've provided air in our lungs and provided our every need. And you're so good to us. Father, I am grateful for all your blessings towards us. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord Jesus, as King of kings and Lord of lords, we, we ask for your mercy and your forgiveness as we have not recognized you as such. We've not honored you as king. We've not recognized you as judge. And we ask for your mercy now. I pray for those that are here that, that, that need to repent today. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, Lord, that they would not wait a moment longer, but they would turn from the life that they now live and focus their full attention on you, seeking to serve you with their whole life, giving themselves fully to you for your salvation. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord, your care for us. Thank you for this time we've had together as a people this morning. And uh, I just pray for this congregation this morning, Lord. I pray for the visitors, I pray for the people that have come, that they would hear the word and go away glad, restored in their relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I ask you to stand together if you would and I, today is September 11th and, uh, and I know I'm uh, 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 we don't do a whole lot of things you know emphasizing uh, uh, you know veterans and things like that but I thought we could sing God bless America I pray you all know the words and uh, oh put, the, put them on the screen there good and um, man it's the only thing we can do is ask God to bless America it's all we got and I'm telling you this is the this is the last bastion of hope for the world as far as sending missionaries we're it and it's time for Christians to speak up he's going to start by cleansing the house of God I pray that this morning as we sing this just just, um, give honor to God and thank him for blessing our country God bless America land that I love stand beside her mountains, to to the the prairies, prairies, to the oceans, oceans, wide with foam,
1: God.
0: you need to repent of sin that you have in your life if you need to rededicate your life if that's what you think you need to do today is the day let's 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 use today while it's still called today okay god bless y'all we're gonna we're gonna eat together you're you're free to go please stay and eat we've got plenty of food if you're a visitor please stay we've got plenty of food and love to have you come back tonight six o'clock and we'll get these deacons going god bless y'all